how many of you can recite the mission statement of the company you work for? That's what I thought. How many of you even know what it is? Ever even see it, right? It's something that has become very popular in our day. In fact, uh, I never thought about a church having a mission statement until we started Hope, and everybody's like, you have to have a mission statement. And, and I had to laugh at that because I'm like, well, it's pretty simple. God said, go into all the world and preach the gospel, make disciples of all nations, teaching them, teaching them uh, to obey the truth and baptize in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. But yet we've got to get real cute with those things, right? So I was doing a little research on, on, on mission statements, and I, I thought it was funny how hard we try to make them. Starbucks. How many like Starbucks? Starbucks. What is the mission statement of Starbucks? What would you think it'd be? To provide coffee, right? No, no. Here's their mission statement. To inspire and nurture the human spirit. One person, one cup at a time. Oh, give me a break. <laughs> they are there for the addicted. Of which, yes, I am one. That we may be set free with caffeine. But, you know, if, the reason I bring these up is, if you really think about it, you know, there's a clarity to God's Word that shows us what God was about and what God is about that Jesus came very clearly to declare. We we're in this teaching called worldview, and the whole premise of worldview is we have to look at what lens are we looking at life through. Are we looking at it through culture? Are we looking at it through media? Are we looking at it through politics? Are we looking at it through the Word of God? And it's so important that we look through the Word of God because we live in a day where things are getting very blurry, but God's Word has never changed. And it will not change. There's not an addendum. There's not a second, third, fourth edition. He has given us life through His Word. And so it's important that everything we look at, we look through God's Word. And this morning, what I want to do is I want to take God's Word and look at what it means to reach out to what we call the lost. What, that, what does that even mean to reach out to the lost? Because you see, Jesus, when he came, was very clear about his mission. He was very clear about why God sent him to this earth. He didn't come with a fiery message saying that God is going to blow everything up and, you know, the, coming to judge mankind. He didn't come to prove the religious establishment wrong. Get this. He didn't come to march up Herod's steps with a petition in his hand to protest the injustices of this world, and neither did he come to clean up the city and whip sinners into shape. No, the Word of God says that Jesus came to bring good news, to bring freedom from bondage, healing, and love to a world that desperately needed it. Look in Luke's Gospel, Luke chapter 4, beginning in verse 18. Here's the, here's the mission statement of our, of our Lord. He said, the Spirit of the Lord is on me because He has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor, and He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. There's, there's no question about what he came for. There was no question that he came to bring freedom and life, and he came to set people into a new place out of bondage. We see later in Luke's gospel, he gave what I call his elevator version of that, where he gives it in a very short statement, but a statement that is so powerful for us today. It's in Luke chapter 19, verse 10, where Jesus said again, he said, for the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. To seek and save that which was lost. It's interesting in our world today that, that we don't think about things in the clear terms the Bible gives us. I mean, why is that important for us to understand the mission statement of Christ? Why is it important for us to understand the message and the mission of why he came here in the first place? And I think it's so important because of this. If we really look at this world through the lens of the gospel of Jesus Christ, then we begin to see others in a different light. 
We begin to see others through the love and compassion of our God who sent his one and only son on a mission to set you and I free. It changes how we come to people. It changes how we reach out. It changes how we love. Because you see, God made a provision to take back that which was lost due to sin and the work of Satan on this earth. He sent his own son on mission so that through the power of his resurrection, we could be brought back into relationship with our God. And yet we live in a world now that is so divisive. It is so divisive in our culture today that it's easy for followers of Jesus Christ to cloister together and to protect that which is ours instead of risking it all to reach those who don't know the grace of our Savior, Jesus Christ. You see, it's very easy to set ourselves up as an us against them in a mentality that is wrong. I learned a long time ago, if I see people that are outside, if I see people who have not accepted yet the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, if I just see them as sinners, then I can classify them and say, well, it's them. I don't have to like them. I don't like what they do. I don't like how they act. I don't like what they say. And I can be very calloused of that point of saying, well, you know, I'm going to hang out with the, with the Christians. I'm going to hang out with my club, right? But I learned long ago that if I see them through the lens of the gospel, then I see people not just as sinners, but I see people as lost, and I see people as broken. And I see a Savior that came to bring wholeness to our lives. It changes everything. It changes how I view people. It changes how I reach out because now it's not a matter of I can't touch them because they're sinners, but no, I can come around them because they are broken and they need healing in their lives just like you and I, those of us who've received the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. You see, it's important for us to understand God's mission. I think it's important also because we have to recognize what was lost if we understand what there is to be saved. I mean, I know it's a big understatement, right? But there was a lot that was lost when centered into the world through Satan's deception, which led to the disobedience of Adam and Eve. I mean, think about it. Have you ever pondered what this world would be like if sin had not entered in? Have you ever taken time to consider what was lost when sin entered in? I mean, it'll, it'll blow your mind if you start thinking about what this world would look like if it was different, right? Can you imagine today if we lived in a world that was characterized by selfless love? I mean, just love for each other beyond what anything else has ever seen, unity and peace, harmony and relationships, joy. I mean, the world God created, there would be no sorrow or fear, no shame or condemnation, no disease and no death. Can I get an amen to that? You see, the world God created was a place where emptiness and hopelessness and desperation and despair did not exist. Did not exist. I mean, think about it. If, if sin had not entered in, the relationship you and I have, would have with God would be so different right now. We wouldn't be showing up on Sundays to praise him and try to somehow get through the door because we need a hit of Jesus so we can make it through the rest of the week. No, we'd be communing with him in this perfect, intimate relationship all week long where there is no separation. There would just be this incredible communication with a God who created us to be with him. Instead of being fearful, it would be joy-filled. Instead of being unnatural, it would be unobstructed. Boy, I would love that. Not only that, I would love what would happen between you and I. Because if we live in this world where that which is lost was not lost because of sin, then our own relationships would be marked with humility and a love that always would live for the best of others. So literally, we would live out what he says where we die to self so that you may live. And what a world that would be, right? I mean, that'd be amazing. I mean, even you're like, Mike, that's just too good to be true. I mean, is that, is that what, yes, that's what God intended from the beginning. 
Because you see, I'm convinced that we can't truly appreciate what it means to be saved unless we understand what it means to be lost. You know, when I came up through the, you know, through the church and being raised around a godly family, I know I'm blessed by that, and I know that I, I came to know Christ in an early age, but all I ever thought lost meant was that I'm a sinner in need of a Savior, and that is so true, right? And we need a Savior, and He gave us the Savior. Hallelujah. But I never thought about that He was wanting to regain some things in my life that had been lost from the time Adam and Eve betrayed and walked away from God. You see, to understand salvation, to really get a hold of what God wants to do in us and through us and in those that don't know Him, then we have to understand what it means to be lost if we understand what it means to be saved. You see, I'm convinced a lot of believers still truly don't know what it means to be saved. They just prayed a prayer somewhere, they walked up front one day, they shook the hand of the pastor, they got dunked in a baptismal, they're like, hallelujah, I'm saved, but yet they live like they aren't. And I think it's because we don't understand what it means to be saved. I love that word saved, don't you? It, it has some incredible meaning to it. In the, in the original language of the New Testament, because you find it all through the New Testament, it was one of those words that's just fun to say, right? It's, it's so-so. So-so, kind of like a soda, but a little Z on it, so so-so. And what it means is, all throughout the Scriptures, it means this. Yes, it means forgiven. And praise God, we need to be forgiven, amen? But it means so much more. It speaks of the thought of rescue. It speaks of the thought of, of forgiveness. It speaks of the thought of, of wholeness and healing and cure. But one of my favorite usages of it is it speaks of the thought of being made to thrive even now. Being made to thrive right now. Living in the grace of our Lord and the power of the Holy Spirit, thriving while we're on this earth. Because here's the thing about salvation that we need to understand, church. That Jesus came to save which that was lost, but it involved much more than just getting us to heaven. I've had a theory about that my whole life. If Jesus died for us just so we'd go to heaven, then he ought to, he ought to just kill us the moment we confess Christ. And then we don't have to suffer in the earth, we're in heaven, Right? But there was more to that, is that he died for us so that we would know life and life more abundantly even now. You see, salvation is the beginning, it's not the end. Salvation is a doorway, it's not the end of the hall. It opens the door for us to begin to experience the restorative work of our Savior when he begins to restore us relationally. Now we begin to see people differently than we saw them before. It restores us physically where God promises wholeness and healing through his word because of the wounds of Jesus. And it restores us emotionally. So we're no longer are we bound in the fear that comes from being lost. You see, to understand the greatness of salvation, we have to look back and say, then God, what was lost if we're going to expect that restoration in our life? And that's what I want us to look at over the next few moments we have. Let's go back to the beginning and let's say, what, what was it we lost so that we now know what we were saved from? And how Jesus works in us so that now we may reach out to others. You see, if you look in your word, the very first thing that was lost when Adam and Eve sinned was that man's relationship with God was lost. It was lost. I mean, think about it. Adam and Eve rejected God's authority and it resulted in this separation. This separation from his presence, his goodness, and his love. I have this mental picture of that because when we were coming up in church, they gave us, we give out cool kids' Bibles now with great anima animation, it's hard to say. But the, back then there was this one Bible, okay? And it had these horrible, horrible animations. Jesus looked like this uh, anemic, sort of brown person that was about to fall over and die. I mean, he just looked bad, right? But I remember a picture in my kids' Bible that gave me the, the picture of what happened. When Adam and Eve's son... Part of what happened was is they were expelled from the garden. 
They, they, were, they were sent out from the Garden of Eden. And the picture was Adam and Eve outside the garden all cowered over, and behind them were these two humongous angels with these two humongous swords that were on fire. And as a little kid, I thought, I don't want to mess with God. He, he, don't, he don't play around, okay? He, he doesn't play. I mean, it's like, uh, I dare you, try to come back in, Adam and Eve. We're going we're to finish you right now, right? It was that rejection from God's presence. And what it does is because they were rejected ever since then, we've lived under the effects of rejection. Think about it. How much of our life do we battle fear and insecurities, anxieties and anger, pride? This world owes me something. This life owes me something. Just pride. And it all came from that which was lost. They lost that relationship with God. But here's the beauty of where you and I live. But God provided the answer to that which was lost through His Son, Jesus Christ. He provided for us reconciliation with God as being fully accepted in Him in Christ. Check it out, Colossians. I, I know it's going to be hard. We're going to look at a lot of Scripture today, so it'll be on the screen. If you're following on new version under events, it's all right there. You can even take notes on new version with this. But in Colossians chapter 1, verse 19, it says this, For God was pleased to have all His fullness dwell in Him. Jesus, all right? All His fullness in Jesus. And through Him to reconcile to Himself all things whether things on earth, things on heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Verse 21, here's where we all are. For once you were alienated from God and were enemies, check this out, in your minds. We were enemies in our minds. You see, sometimes we have the wrong picture of God even. We, we somehow think that we are in this opposition where God is against us like a warring army and God is trying to wipe us out as, as his enemies. But no, he says we were enemies in our minds because of the behaviors we lived in, because of our evil behavior. But now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation. I mean, think about it. Here's Adam and Eve. They know the intimacy of walking with the Lord in the cool of the garden. I mean, they know the beauty of nature, all this incredible creation. But then they rebel against God, they, they, they sin, they're, they're cast out, and for the very first time, they felt shame. Can you imagine what that felt like? I remember when our, our, our babies were babies. I remember one of the coolest things was the first time you ever see your baby sneeze. And they're just like, what was that? You know, they can't articulate it, but you know what's going on in the brain. It's like, that was awesome. Let's do that again, you know. Everything just shook up. On the reverse side of that, can you imagine for the first time feeling shame? You didn't know what that was? Condemnation, guilt. You ever had your heart hurt? I mean, I can imagine what they were going through for all of a sudden experiencing going from this intimacy to now feeling shame like nothing else. But... Jesus provided for you and I that we don't have to live in that. He provided for you and I that we can walk with freedom from the guilt of sin, and he put us on a path to live life, life that, that has peace with God and peace toward others. Why? Because now, according to Romans 8, 1, now there is therefore now no what? Come on, say it louder. Condemnation to those who show up for church. <laughs> To those that own a Bible, welcome to the South. It's probably King James. To those who, what? Look at that. Are in Christ Jesus. We are found in him. 
Our lives are in him. Our purpose is in him. So this, this loss of our relationship with God has now been won back for us through the blood of Jesus Christ. But there was a second thing that was lost, and it is incredibly important. And that was man's authority over Satan at that moment was lost. He was under their feet. He was the serpent, right? But when Adam and Eve sinned, they obeyed Satan by disobeying God. And when they did that, they gave Satan authority and dominion over their lives. That's why there was so much curse that came out of this on the world. Because of that, that authority and dominion that once was theirs that now is lost led to some horrible, horrible events in their lives that now we walk in the lack of benefit from that. We read in the Genesis account that they had children, and one day their own son, Cain, rose up and killed their other son, Abel. Why? Because Satan began to sow things into their thoughts and sow things into their lives, things like fear, things like jealousy, things like injustice, things that that led to the very first murder recorded on this earth. Why? Because they lost their dominion over Satan, the one who came to steal, kill, destroy. But now you and I... We, we live on the flip side, right? We live on the other side of it because here they had to, they had to suffer under that, but now we, we are the ones that have been set free. But here's the deal. Unless you understand that, a lot of people still live like Satan has dominion over their lives. And they lack faith, and they lack boldness. They lack life. But you see, Colossians kind of clears it up for us. Again, why Jesus came and what he did. Because in Colossians 2.13, it says, When you were dead in your sins... And in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive in Christ. And he forgave us all our sins, having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. And he has taken it away, nailing it to the cross. Get that picture in your mind. It's like every bad thing you brought to the table. He nails it to the cross, and then look what he does. And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. Satan's authority and dominion was broken. We don't live under his thumb. We live under his lie. We don't live under his, his, his authority. We live under his deception. And that's why we need to be people of the word, because when we're people of the word, then we see what is real, and we go towards that which is real. Because Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil. 1 John 3, 8, the one who does what is sinful is of the devil. Because the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. Now, our our responsibility is now this, and that is that we must now learn to live in the authority of Jesus that was purchased for us on the cross because Satan has not given up on his mission. How many know that today? He's not given up on his mission to steal, kill, and destroy. He's still active, but can I tell you something? Here's where he works. If Satan can't take away our salvation, he tries to take away our freedom. And sadly, many, many people sitting in churches today have given him their freedom. That's not the way God meant for it to be. He means for us to walk free, free from condemnation, free from guilt, free from sin, so that we may live in the freedom God has for us. We're going to teach more about that in the coming weeks. But that was lost, but now it's been restored. There was a third thing that was lost, and this is one we can all relate to, and that is the husband-wife-child relationship was lost there in the garden. I mean, it was just lost. In one moment of sin, gone. All that we see in the New Testament, all these beautiful pictures of how relationships ought to be, just the opposite is what they lived in. 
I mean, I've always loved, when I do premarital counseling, this is one of the scriptures I like to go to in Philippians. And in Philippians chapter 2, it says, Therefore, if, any, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the Spirit, if any tenderness or compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and one in mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather than humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. I don't know about you, but that's how my house is with Denise and I always. Yeah. Because no, we're still here. We're still battling that, right? We still are looking for that freedom, but yet God says, I've given it to you, but we have to learn to take it. Because here's what Adam and Eve did. You see, when they fell, the very first thing they did is they deflected personal responsibility. I didn't do it. It was a snake. Well, I didn't do it. It was the wife you gave me, right? Remember that conversation? And what they did is they started blaming each other, and from that point forward, their relationship developed tension where they began to strive, they began to compete, they began to try to dominate each other, and we see that now still in relationships today. Everybody do this for a second, make up a triangle. <laughs> I feel like you should be in a kid's church. <laughs> all right, object lesson. <laughs> lot, some of y'all have gone through premarital counseling with me, all right? You all know this. We start right here. If God is at the top, right, and you are at the bottom, the two, whatever that was, I can't remember my math terms here, then the closer you get to God, guess what happens? The closer you get to each other. But the further you get from God, guess what? The further you get from each other. And can I speak to our kids today and to our marriages? Whenever there's relational conflict, can I tell you, God has not moved, you have. Whenever there's relational strife, God has not moved, you have. And instead of blaming each other and letting all this anger build up and where guilt and shame and all that is thrown at us, we've got to come back to, God, we need to come close to you. Because, why? Because the Scripture tells me that I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. You see, again, we're, we apply the Word. It comes back to us and we say, God, so relational harmony has been broken, but through Christ now you give me the strength, God, to walk it back. And the secret is simple, Lord, as long as I'm close to you. And God, I'll see my bride, I'll see my kids, I'll see my family through your eyes, not just through mine. And God, I'll serve them the way you want me to serve them. So what was lost has been recovered. But we got to walk it out. we got to walk in that freedom. Here, here's the fourth thing. I know I'm just kind of giving you a big overview today. There's a lot to chew on because I want you to think through this this week. But the, the fourth thing that was lost was God's plan for health and fullness of life. It was lost. It was lost. Imagine this. Okay, you got, you got to flip this on the flip side, all right? So imagine this. When Adam and Eve sinned and the Lord cast them out of the garden, he pronounced some things over them and said, hey, this is the way life's going to be because of your sin. Ladies, imagine childbirth without pain. Our nursery would be overflowing in a big time right now. I mean, we'd be like, kids, sure, bring them on. Not like kids, I'm done. One and done, two and done, done. Think about it. What if work was the opposite of what he said? Because he said, here's how the work's going to be. He said, curse is the ground because of you. Through painful toil, you will eat food from it all the days of your life. Wow. Can you imagine it would just be easy, right? Just to, just to have that purpose fulfillment by going out and doing a good job and just being related to God and let God provide for us. But instead, it's hard. Oh, and it affects these bodies, doesn't it? 
It affects these bodies. I mean, she had a birthday today. I'm getting a little older. Feeling it right now. Think about it. God created these bodies to be the temple of the Holy Spirit. He designed them to be whole, vessels, healthy, full of his love and his power. But yet Satan delights in destroying the handiwork of God. We're constantly deteriorating. Now, I know what the Word of God says about healing. And there are many great promises of healing, but guess what? We are flesh, and guess what flesh does? It dies. It dies. And so we have to understand when we come toward God with healing, we recognize he's made provision for healing through his son, Jesus Christ. In fact, healing characterized his ministry. And what it gave us is it gave us hope that God is recovering the dignity of his creation. And one day when we pass in this life, we put on the glorified bodies of heaven. Guess what? They don't get old. They don't get sick. They don't deteriorate. They are a reflection of God. So what was lost, he's recovering. What was lost, we have to protect. What was lost, we have to value. Even when we come in a moment where we celebrate communion together as we do every Sunday at home, I try to remind you that we're not just coming to have a little piece of bread and juice and say we've done our religious thing, but it is a reminder every time we come together of two things that we've got to remember. So much so that Jesus said, do this in remembrance of me. We must be reminded that when we take the bread, it is just a reflection of Isaiah 53, 5, when it says, but he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we are healed. Oh, I, I wish we lived in a day and age where everyone you prayed for would be healed. There'd be no death, no more sorrow, no more separation. <laughs> My wife and I are we're, we're, we're a little behind, but we're catching up. And one, one of the shows we like to watch at night is this show called This Is Us. Anybody got a witness to that? And they totally messed me up this week. Cried like a stinking baby. Because I wish death was done in such a Hollywood way that you always got to say goodbye. I wish. But we recognize the things we long for, the things we hurt, the things we grasp for, he says that's what heaven's going to be for us. There will be no more death, no sorrow, no separation. But while we we're on this earth, God says, I make provision for wholeness, that the dignity of yourself, your life will be shown. And then we dip the bread in the juice to remind us that it's by his wounds we were healed, and it's by his blood we are cleansed. And we never forget we all need cleansing always, right? Because why? The body, the physical expression, we lost what God intended. And finally this morning, God's design and purpose for our lives was lost. Look at this. Genesis chapter 3, verse 19, it gives this picture of what life's going to be like because of Adam and Eve's sin, right? And in Genesis chapter 3, verse 19, he says, By the sweat of your brow you will eat your food until you return to the ground. Since from it you are taken, from dust you are, and to dust you will return. Man, high five God, thanks for the encouragement, right? And it just sounds, thanks, hopeless. It, it just sounds like, great, what a far cry from God's pronouncement when he created us, when he said, hey, it's very good. That's what he called you and I. But here we see that picture of futility and significance and despair, all because what was lost in the garden. But, again, you and I live on the flip side. We live on the flip side of the cross. And because Jesus came, he brought meaning. He brought purpose. 
He brought a plan into our lives that the Word of God says was formed in our mother's womb. He brought meaning to our days that we can live them out, not just toiling under the sun somehow to get food so we can survive, but yet we would walk in the beauty of God's creation in each one of us. He can take the the mess of our lives and he can create a masterpiece out of it. He, He can take the brokenness that we've walked in in sin and he can bring something that reflects again the beauty of his creation. Ephesians 2.10 says, For we are his handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which he prepared in advance for us to do. I want you to watch a little video for just a moment. And I want you to let this verse speak into your heart today. Let's do that. I've heard it. You've heard it. It's time for a new beginning. Time to start a fresh page or paint a new picture with our life sounds great in theory but it can seem impossible life is messy the lines have gotten blurred maybe we just don't know where to start we look at the canvas of our lives and see mistake after mistake after mistake it's overwhelming when I look at my life with these messy lines and scribbles makes me think is this as good as it gets there's no eraser that can make this life make sense but what if what if there was someone that could make sense of our mess they could take all our scribbles all our mistakes all our missed opportunities and make them into a masterpiece. And then I remember, there is Jesus. He gives us a new life. Every day is new. Every day is a blank canvas full of possibility and promise. He takes our canvases, our lives, that have been filled up with shortcomings, secrets, tragedies, and embarrassments, and he helps them make sense. When I look at the canvas of my life and I see nothing but disorder and chaos, I have to remember this. God is not a God of disorder. He's a God of peace. And you know what? He wants to take my hand and bring peace to the canvas of my life. So as we seek to make our mark, let us give God all our scribbles, all our mistakes, all our hurts, and trust that he will turn our messy lives into a masterpiece, his masterpiece. Why don't you stand with me this morning? It's not a beautiful physical representation of what we're talking about today. When I was praying this week and God was just showing me through his word, this teaching, I just, I was reminded how, if we're honest, every one of us can look at those things that are lost and say, you know what, I haven't recovered that area yet. Maybe there's relational strife and there's hurt that's not been healed. Maybe there's bitterness, unforgiveness. Or others you may look and you say, well, Mike, I don't, I don't have that intimate relationship with God. I I know he's forgiven me, but I, I don't know how to approach him. Today, I would pray that you'd experience God's grace and understand he's the one reaching out, just as the picture showed. Maybe you're the one today, and 
You know, you're just, you're caught up in your own head. The lies of the enemy have just been so strong over you. You just doubt everything. You fear everything. You're anxious about everything. Can I tell you this morning, that was not God's plan for you. And it's not God's plan for you now. He said that we are to have our minds renewed. That's that's the beauty of what he does for us. We have our minds renewed by his word. Romans 12, 1 and 2. He wants us to do that in us today. So here's what I want us to do. We're going to enter a time of response. And I always ask you, you know, what is God saying to you right now? Because, again, God is a personal God. He knows us. But also I ask you, what is it he's asking you to do? What are you going to do about it? Because I I believe in my heart that every time we come to this word, there, there really is a response that we just have to be honest about. Because every one of us, when we hear God's word taught, we realize how short we come of it. We, we miss that mark sometimes. And so we come with repentance. We say, God, help me. Help me to change my thinking, God. Help me to go another direction, because that's what repentance really is. And then I think it leads us to boldness. I think we need to stand up and rebuke the devil. Because guess what? He's not for you. Man, his voice is so prevalent in so many minds. We need to rebuke him. Call it out. Call it out. Call out the lie of the enemy and replace the lie with God's truth because the truth is what sets us free. And then we, we must, and, and just please, you're going to hear this again and again, we must ask God to fill us with his Holy Spirit again and again and again. Because these old vessels leak, and we need Him. So right where you are this morning, I'm going to invite you to come and respond to God. It it may be that you want to come to the cross this morning and celebrate what He did when He nailed all those accusations against you to the cross and defeated the enemy. It may be when you come to communion today, instead of just going through the motions and getting the bread and going, we stop. And we say, God, I need wholeness. Thank you for providing it. You may have blown it this week. Do you think God has turned his back on you? No, he's like, come. Come once again and receive the cleansing that comes through the blood of Christ.